Welcome to the B&E Podcast with Brandon Colby-Cook and Evan Schulte. Exploring the creative process and finding the balance between artistry and industry. Entirely uncut and unscripted. Here we are, once again, on the B&E Podcast, doing our B&E Podcast thing, talking artistry and industry, and we have an artist on the show, as you have seen from the title. Her name is Chelsea Como. Hi. And she is a poet, she is a writer, uh, and we're here to discuss why it's important to say yes to your free time, free time (laughs) as an artist. It was too much for me to remember for whatever reason at this moment. Say yes to your free time as an artist. Say yes to your free time as an artist. Um, I like that voice you were putting on to to start it. It was good. Yeah, it was, it was like a little bit of like a half New York. It's the half New York. Half New York. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, not full New York. (laughs) I wasn't sure where we were going to go. So anyhow, um, I, I, I'm just going to give you a little bit of how I met you, Chelsea. Mm -hmm. Um, so you recently participated in the new Westminster lit fest. Yes. Uh, you were, you entered a contest, you submitted uh, a completely original short story, Yes. which you want first place on. (laughs) I did. Yeah. Um, and deservedly so. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, they had, the, the top three people come up and, and read their short stories, um, for everybody who was there. And so they worked from three to one and, and they were all very good. And, uh, the second place person I was like, I was like, Oh wow, she was, she was really good. And then you read yours and I was just like, whoa, (laughs) like, whole completely different fucking level. Even outside when we took a little break, I was speaking to the woman who finished second place and she was even saying like, Oh my God, like about your story. She was just like, it's a whole different level. Um, and I loved your story. I loved your story. There was, um, and we'll provide a link to it because people can read it online. They can. Can they? I didn't even know that. Yeah. Yeah. That's exciting. We'll provide a a link to it. I just found it through, like, the New West Lit Fest, like, website and stuff, and it's it's all there. I'll find the link, and you can see it in the blog. Um, It's so terrific. There was, like, one thing in particular. I said it to you on the day. There was, like, this one, like... I, me saying this is going to like not provide context to the rest of the story, but you had this phrase that went domestic intimacies mm. and it was just like, Oh my God. Like I was just like, <laughs> I was like, that was just like, Oh, so good. So people, and the story's called remembering. Yeah. Um, I remembered that. <laughs> uh, so we'll provide a link to that. Anyhow, that's how I met you. Yes. Um, so let's get into it yeah, because you it. just finished, um, doing a artist in residency yeah. where you had a month, yes, a whole, to, month. a whole month to do nothing but just focus on writing. Yeah. What was that like? <laughs> it was incredible. Um, 
I'd spent so many years devoting pieces throughout the day, like even lunch breaks if I could, to writing. Um, and then I'd go home at night and I'd write. Uh, I get up really early for work, so it's hard for me to stay up at night, which is what I like to do when I'm writing. So to have a space and the time to do this manuscript that I'm working on was just incredible. Yeah. It's, I can't even explain how wonderful mm-hmm. it was. Very, very grateful for it. Excellent. So, yeah. so when you're, so when you're, so you got this month, right? Like, and you've been used to doing like afternoons and sneaking away. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe you can talk a little bit about like, what was your experience of like when you first were like, okay, well your first day of like having like free time. And knowing that you just had this whole month in, you know, was that all, like, for you? It was overwhelming in a way, I guess. It was... There's this whole idea is, you know, I was afraid of not being able to produce enough to make it worth it. Um, Mm. I did, obviously, take a huge pay cut for doing it. Um, So I I had this sort of sense of fear, I guess, in my head about, am I going to produce enough work? Is it going to be good enough? Um, What if I come to the end of the month and I've barely written anything? Uh, Because that happens. Like, I've gone weeks at a time without being able to produce anything that I'm happy with. Mm. Um, But mostly it was just overwhelming gratitude. I was so, so grateful to have the chance to do it. And it was really exciting because Mm. I had, I did go in with a lot of ideas um, and I'm still working on stuff. Like I filled the whole month and I'm still continuing working on it. So it was, it was wonderful. That's great. And you were saying uh, before it's a, so it's a, it's going to be a book that's going to be released of like 60 to 70 poems. Um, I'm hoping it'll be released. Uh, I'm going through, uh, for traditional publishing. So it has to be accepted by publisher. Okay. Um, and poetry publishing in Canada can take a very long time to hear back. Um, it, it's just not super funded. It's, um, it's very, very competitive. There's a lot of presses that are really, really amazing, but they don't have a lot of money to produce the books. Um, and it's very competitive. There's a lot of phenomenal poets in Canada and Mm. it's hard to be noticed above all the others. And like my first manuscript has been out for, um, almost a year with publishers and I haven't heard back from a lot of them. So it takes a long time. So how does, like, how do, how do poets kind of get known and like, like, how does it all work? How do you, I mean, how do you make your stamp, I guess, to kind of like, you know, move yourself forward and get a name or how does it work? It's just getting yourself out there as much as possible. One of the best things to do is to submit to the literary magazines and just submit and submit and submit. Um, you'll get a million rejections and one yes, but uh, the more you can get your name out there. Um, entering contests is good too. That's obviously very competitive and it mostly costs money for you to enter. Okay. Um, but if you can get in some of the placings, at least your name is there. Often um, first to third place will be published, so at least you're published. Oh, really? Um, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then for for poetry, then it's worth it to submit to these things? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. What are we talking per submission on average? What would you say? Um, for like how much you're submitting. Yeah. Like um, how much like, is it? $30 fee? $15? Uh, fee? for the contest, it, it really depends. Uh, typically between 15 and 25 okay. is a lot of the pricings that I've seen. Um, a lot of the literary magazines won't charge you to submit to just regular issues. Okay. Um, a couple will have like, I know there's some, um, online things with submittable where it's like a $3 fee for reading or whatever, but for the most part, the magazines are free to, to submit to. Oh, okay. Cool. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I ask, I try to ask questions because there's probably someone else out there who is like yourself, who's brand new and doesn't know. And I always think like, it's always good to share the advice with people who are trying to figure out like, well, I want to do this, but I don't even know where mm-hmm. to start. Oh, I had no idea in the beginning. Yeah. How long have you been doing it for? Um, I've been writing for about 20 years now. 
Only? Um, I got my first thing published sort of when I was 10, um, so about 20 years ago. And um, that was just through the school district that I went to. They put out this publication. So that's kind of how I got started. Um, And then it was in post-secondary that I really started to submit. So I was about 18 or 19, I guess. Hmm. Um, And I'm 30 now, so. Yeah, yeah. Um, So what got you inspired to write poetry in? that because you that's not just all you read we're gonna get into a whole bunch of stuff <laughs> but what got you into poetry um I picked up some poetry books when I was younger I think I was about 12 when I really started reading poetry um and I started reading Canadian poetry uh Patrick Lane and Lorna Crozier are two huge names in the Canadian poetry scene and they are just phenomenal and honestly they like I enjoyed writing poetry and it was something that I liked just to do in my free time but reading them is what made me think uh this is what I actually want to do like I want to be serious about this hmm. so it was just being inspired by people who are just phenomenal what they do and, oh, want, and thinking awesome. that I'd like to do something like that so okay so then and I, I just want to kind of give our audience um an, a, a little bit more about you you don't just write poetry you also wrote romance novels um I, it's well, not, short fiction short fiction <laughs> yeah some i've got a couple erotic short stories published yeah erotic short stories okay i want to talk about that too because that's interesting <laughs> to me yeah that's something that we haven't had an opportunity to talk about because like especially like with sexual stuff we have so many like weird stigmas and taboos and stuff like mm-hmm. it. but it's like you know, it's an essential part of the human experience, you know? And it's like, so I feel like that's why I'm like, I think it's such an enticing conversation to, to Mm -hmm. have. So like, what made you want to write erotica? I don't even remember where I first, like there was, I, I can't remember how I found this website, but there was a website looking for just online submissions. And I just thought I'd give it a try because I I just I want to try everything. I like to write all the different kinds of things. So I, I gave it a shot. I submitted it. They published it um, just on their website. And then I think I did two stories through this website. And they put out a call for um, a print anthology. So I just I wrote a story and I submitted it. They said it wasn't basically spuddy enough, so I had to go back and add more to it. <laughs> wow, really? And then they published it. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah. So it's in a print anthology somewhere. So yeah. you know, like um, when you're when you're writing this stuff, like. Um, uh, you know, the, the process of imagining it, like, like I would, I would imagine myself if I was writing something like that, there would be certain points where I'd probably be like, almost like maybe vulnerable because as I'm writing it, because I'm maybe writing something that maybe is a fantasy of my own, or it would be out of my wheelhouse, maybe something I've never done or like only have thought of or whatever. Mm-hmm. Do you find that like you're, you're pushing into territory that you're not like, like sometimes not familiar with or stuff that you're like, I don't know. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like, how's that go? <laughs> um, yeah. Or what are people going to think of me? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't until after it was published that, um, I saw the idea of, especially in erotica, people tend to use like a pen name and I didn't, oh, <laughs> I didn't yes. really think about that at the time. So it's under my real name. Right. Um, but yeah, I guess for, for this one, um, I guess it was a bit of a mix of both. Like, they say, write what you know. So, I mean, there's that aspect of it. But then, yeah, I guess you you can sort of push it into more of, like, a fantasy or, you know, like, the story that... The one that's in the print anthology has not happened to me. It was totally 
it was just it was basic fantasy, I mm. guess. Okay. So the, yeah, it's it's a, it's a bit of both, I suppose. How long was this, how long is a short story? Um, it depends on what the publisher is looking for. Okay. Um, so how long is this one that you wrote? Um, it was so many years ago that that was back when I was I think about nineteen or twenty. So I don't. But there's one that I submitted recently. Like I just submitted it, so I haven't heard back anything yet. Uh, but it was about two thousand words for this okay. one, and that's for another anthology, another erotic anthology. Great. How long does it take you to write the 2,000-word story? Um, It depends on how much time I'm able to, like, to to chunk and sit down. This one took a couple days because I was doing bits and pieces of it. Um, And if I really wanted to, like, sit down and and just focus on it, I could probably do it um, in an evening. Right. If there's, like, no interruptions or, or if I had, like, if I came in with the idea already, like, if I had it all mapped out and everything, I could probably do it in an evening. Right. Okay. And then what do you do to map out your stories? Um, I just take notes, personally, okay. in, a, in a notebook. I just kind of um, do, like, a basic storyline. Okay. Um, I, and I don't do that very often. I don't often map out my stories. Right. Um, but I know a lot of writers who do. They'll do, like, an actual plan. Right. But, but it's like, but you have, like, a general, like, idea of, like, an arc to it? Or yeah. Or, like, of, of a structure. Yeah. But it's not necessarily, like, a like a... You don't necessarily write it out structured. No, and there's it's, no like actual like storyboard. Like a lot of people do like yeah. the sticky notes, and they'll have like a whole this whole like chart thing. I, I don't usually do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, yeah. I'm finding actually I'm working on a feature right now that I'm I committed to finishing in the next two weeks, and it's not it's not the typical type of feature film that I've been writing because I write features as well. But um, it's not so much based on the plot and the structure, and so. I got to the middle of the outline, like I've outlined the, the first act and outlined the third act quite easily. But the middle, I'm like, I don't know if I, like, I kind of wasn't, I was trying to look at it. I'm like, I don't know if I should force any more plot points in here because if I do, I feel it'll kind of kill the freedom of this story. Cause it's really about, it's just about a guy and a girl who basically spend like two days together and them in the apartment and all the stuff that kind of comes up from their past and whatnot. And I think that I've told people about the story and everybody seems to be super excited about it. But I think that there every, my point is every project I think has a a different type of need, right? Mm -hmm. Like some need to be really outlined and kind of like, you need to know all those plot points and other ones. It's almost, I I almost equate it more to like writing theater, like a play. Like you just got kind of an idea of where you're starting and where you're ending. And the middle is, you don't even know yet, (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) you know? So that's what I'm finding with this particular script is the middle. It's, it's better. I don't know very much of it. I think that's at least what I'm, what I'm, I'm dabbling with. Cause when I started writing screenplays, I didn't really know story structure. Mm-hmm. So I used to just let the characters tell the story. So, you know, and then I started just adding an ending. So I'd figure out the ending and then I just let the dialogue carry the story. And it was always really worked quite well, but usually I needed to know the ending. Cause if I didn't, Sometimes it would go off course somewhere and yeah. I'd be like, oh no, now where do I go now? Yeah. Yeah. For me, it's like sometimes because we're so ingrained with, um, with story Like we just had a, an episode come out recently called like, we're all storytellers by nature. Yeah. Um, we're so, but like our, we're so ingrained with story in us. Like it's in like, we read stories, we have stories read to us. We mm-hmm. watch movies. Like we have like this sort of this concept of how a story moves and flows, even if it's just like, okay, so it, it starts off, there's people and uh, then something happens 
um, things get really crazy and then they get figured out. <laughs> like, yeah, that's kind of basically a story, right? Like yeah. that's, that's how it goes. And then it's when you start to get into like the details of it that really, I think is what really starts to separate, you know, who's, who are like the, the really committed storytellers and mm-hmm. who are more for the passive experience of it. But well, you know, I was thinking about, I mean, Evan had obviously a really positive response to the poem that you had and he said, short story, the short story, you short read. story. Uh, so the short story that you read and you said, um, domestic, uh, what was that word? Intimacy. Uh, intimacy. I, yeah, I knew it. <laughs> domestic intimacy. So to me that when you, the way you, I project the way that you said that was that you connected to that. That's something that you see in your own life that made sense to you. And I think that's a big part of story is that I think sometimes we're trying so hard to come up with these really unique ideas that we forget that it's story in a lot of ways is the same shit told over and over again, Mm -hmm. but in a different way, Yeah, you know? And like, that's, I think like kind of the thing that I'm kind of coming back to in my career right now is because I've been off writing all these crazy sci-fi like out there movies and I'm like, yeah, it all just comes right back down to the, to the <laughs> fundamental basic stuff that we've, we've heard of a thousand times, but that's all that, that matters. But it's the way yeah. that we talk about it and our, our understanding of it, which is somehow, uh, somehow familiar yet totally different. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's what, that, you know, that's what I'm finding more and more as a storyteller myself. Yeah. So um, well, I, I don't know, Evan, I've been, well, you said something earlier and I wanted to come, come back to this. And you said that you've had experiences of going for like weeks and weeks of creating things and, and creating material, um, that you're, you're not happy with yeah. or, um, <laughs> so, which makes me go, it's like, well, how do you, like for you, how do you know, like, how, how do you make that? Because there's so many artists who are just like, they're never, never happy Mm -hmm. with what they do, but clearly you've found some sort of, uh, a way of, of being able to see your work in a way where you can actually go, it's like, yes, I'm happy with this or no, I'm not. Mm -hmm. So what, what is it in your own work that, that makes you happy? (laughs) Like when, when you see it or when, when it's happening, I don't know. Well, I think it goes back to the idea of telling things in a different way. Um, we, we do tend to tell the same stories over and over again in some, in some way. Um, so I, I like to look at my writing and, and think that even if it's a story that's been heard before, it's being said in a way that hasn't been heard before. Yeah. Um, there's, there's something, there's just some like nugget of, of being different in it. Yeah. Um, and I guess, and I, I do put a lot into like the cadence and the rhythm. Um, like even when I'm doing short fiction, I try to be a little bit poetic about it, I guess. Yeah. Um, so it has to have that rhythm. It has to sound good. It has to, it has to sound good. Like when I'm reading out loud or if I'm just reading it on the page. Um, yeah. It, and it, it's also a very intuitive thing. Like yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll read something of my own and I'll be, and I'll just know that it's not good. Yeah. And like it has a movement to it yeah, almost. Yeah. yeah. And it's very, there's a very energetic quality to it as well. Right. Um, so, yeah, it, uh, at the very least, I'll know that it doesn't feel good. I'll mm. know that I'll, I'll just read it and be like, I just know that's not good. <laughs> so let me ask you then, the story that you, that I heard, mm-hmm. and uh, that you that you won first place on. How did you feel about that after you'd written it? 
I, I did like it, and it, that wasn't the first thing I'd submitted it to either. That was, I mm. think, the third thing it had been submitted to. And so the first two, um, one was a contest and nothing for that, and one was just um, a magazine, and they didn't they didn't accept it either. Um, so there, there's something about it I liked. I, I, I didn't know the people in the story. Um, it was nothing that had really happened to me. Like, the, the characters in it aren't characters that I knew from my own life, really. Um, but I, I liked them. I liked, especially, especially the wife's character. I really liked her. Mm. And I just, I had, I guess I had enough faith in it to just keep, like, I knew there was going to be a place for it somewhere. Right. So I just waited on it. <laughs> yeah, I know. Cause it was like, it was, I was, for me, I could, I could just see it and I could just feel it. Like I could just feel the air that was like in the silence that was going on. It's like, there's these people in this yeah. house and like, it's just like, you could just like the, the history just felt thick mm-hmm. to me. Like just from reading, I, from hearing you read the story, I was just like, I, I was just like, Oh, like it just, there's so, there was just, I felt so much richness going on with these people who I have no idea who these people are mm-hmm. in the story and you didn't either, but there was something very real about what was going on there. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, how did, how did this story, how, how did the, the idea for the story come to you? I honestly don't know. Um, this, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> this story, this story was very much one of those intuitive pieces where I don't, I couldn't, I couldn't say where it came from. It was, it was a story that I, I was able to sit down and write all in one sitting and the characters were already there. It just, it was one of the things that just happened. And there's a couple things throughout my like writing career where that's been the case. Mm. Um, it just happens. It just, you just so yeah. Can you tell? Can you tell us a little bit about what this story is about and what like? Because I, I don't know if we really got a synopsis. Anymore. Yeah. Um. It, so it's it's about a woman whose husband has recently passed away after being diagnosed with Alzheimer's. Um. So her kids are in town. Um. And they're figuring out what what happens next, basically. And I mean, that's something I can connect with. There's been death in the family. Obviously, I've lost three out of the four of my grandparents. So um. There's something about, you know, the packing up of the things and the figuring out what happens next to the person who's left behind. Um, especially when they, when they are at that age, my grandfather is 93 now. Mm. So, and he's on his own. So, um, I guess that's, that's where it came from in a way. Um, just thinking about, about being the person who's left behind and being the one that has to sort of carry the burden of remembering when the person that they were in the process of losing had lost so much of their life up until then. Mm. So, yeah. There's an episode that actually was released by us just several back, and it's called Reconnecting with Your your Artistry, I think it is, or something like that. Artistic with Roots? Well, yeah, that with Artistic Roots with Thalia. Yeah. And it was interesting because I talk in that episode about this feature that I basically wrote like a year or two ago, three years ago or whatever, and then it got kind of, it's been doing this dance around green light for like whatever. And, um, but it was interesting because it's about an undercover cop and this undercover cop is like his, his family life is falling apart. Like him and his wife look like they're going to get a divorce and he has this kid he never sees and all this stuff. And he's, um, deep undercover in this criminal organization and he finds out the police are corrupt and this is putting everybody he loves and himself in danger. And so like, I've never lived anything like that. Mm -hmm. But as we talked about it on the episode, I started to realize that it actually paralleled to my life in a a, quite a fascinating way where it wasn't necessarily that I was an undercover cop, but I was experiencing the same things he was experiencing when I wrote it. And it's kind of interesting because I think sometimes this artistry comes from stuff 
totally, we're totally blind to, we don't know where it comes from, but like, you're, you're sharing a little bit about how, you know, your, your grandfather's like very old. And I think the, it's funny cause these things, they, they tie in and I almost like, it seems like you almost need to write a story when it comes up. Like if you mm-hmm. don't, it's like gone. You know what yeah. I mean? Like that's why I like had to sit down and have to write this next feature. I just have to write it now. Cause like I had a realization if I don't write this now, it's never going to get written. It mm-hmm. just won't ever happen. Cause there's something going on right now where this story is like, it just, it's, it's it wants to come out. Yeah. Yeah. And it sounds like when you wrote this one, it was like, you sat down and it needed to come yeah. out and it just did. It was time for that story. For yeah. Sure. yeah. And that's amazing too, that it ended up winning in this contest. And then, you know, it has quite such a pre- profound effect, you know? So there's something in that. And I was just kind of thinking like maybe, you know, about, you can share with maybe your experiences where there's been times where stories have needed to come out of you and like, you know, how, how that works for you and what you do. Like, like, I mean, you must be at work going like, man, I just want to oh, get home and write yeah. this. You it, know? It's actually painful sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm I like, I'll have my phone with me, so I'll jot down things in my notepad. Um, but yeah, there, there's times where I, I do feel that when I do go home and sit down to write it, it's probably not the same as it would have been if I'd been able to sit down in that moment and actually, like, write the whole thing out. Because mm. I don't want to get in trouble for being on my phone at work or whatever. And, right. and I, I do, I have certain responsibilities where I have to be pretty aware um, of my surroundings. So, yeah, it's it's difficult to not be able to... I think that's why I was so grateful for the Animal Center because I didn't have to worry about that. And that in itself takes a certain pressure off the creativity too because you know that you're going to be able to go in there and write and you know that you don't have to sort of wrestle yeah. with the rest of your responsibilities. I'm glad you brought that up. The like takes off the, the pressure like because I think that's really what we wanted to get at, at this talk is like, you know, yeah. that's something I've noticed as being like a professional screenwriter. I've had to write scripts that are not I'm not necessarily inspired by, the, mm-hmm. you know, or... I'm inspired when they like hire me to do it, but then life moves on and like, yeah. then I have to write that script later. But like, I've moved on from that story, but I'm still hired. So it's like either quit the job or, you know, it's, it's yeah. an interesting thing. Like I much, much prefer to write for myself, something that I wanted to write as opposed to writing something that someone else wants me to write because like, I think that's the thing about story. Like you, you were, t- you always talk about the seven, that big, big magic book or whatever. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah and like, I really relate to that whole thing. Like you got to get it out while it's there. And if you don't like, it's kind of gone, you know, like I really like yeah. stories kind of are like that for me. It's like, you know, like, I don't think I could ever write burning blues. That story is the undercover cop story the same as when I was in that time in my life. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And it probably won't end up that way but that one needed to get out. If that, if that version never got out, that script probably wouldn't exist. Cause I wouldn't write the new version that we're doing now, but the new version is much more inspired by where I'm at now. So it's a, it's an interesting thing. Like, I think you got to kind of evolve with your stories too, because mm-hmm. if you try to like recapture, at least for me, if I try to go back and like write the same story that was like inspired like a year or two ago, it doesn't work anymore. It's like, it's gone. Yeah. I've moved on yeah. from that. Yeah. Or it's, yeah. Or it's changed as well. Right. And if right. I don't change with it, it like, it, you might as well give it a death warrant because yes. it's, it's done. Yeah. So are there stories that, do you have any stories that like the ones that got away? <laughs> the ones that got away. Um, <laughs> yeah, there was a story that I was working on a little while ago. Um, and I, I don't even know what happened to it. I, I just, 
I got tied up with other projects and things and it's it's mostly finished but I don't think I'll ever be able to go back to it it was about this guy um who who runs into a, a young boy who's running away from home and they have this whole conversation and then the boy goes and then he's reported missing the next day um and I don't know I just I've, I've tried to go back and write it and I don't think it's ever gonna happen hmm. and I was so into it when I was writing like when I started it um what got you to put it on hold I feel like it must have been a deadline for something else. Um, I'm, I'm pretty sure it was the first poetry manuscript that I was working on because I was very set on having that done by a certain point, and I had someone lined up to edit it for me, um, and I wanted to have I wanted to to follow that commitment. So I got I kind of got caught up with that instead. And and for me, like I have to be working on. Um, I can I can do two things at once, but I have to be mainly focused on the one project, especially if it's going back and forth between poetry and short fiction. Mm. So I got into like the poetry mode, and then I lost that story. Did you? You didn't finish that one. Uh, like seventy percent, fifty percent. What was your close? Uh, like yeah. I would say, like eighty-five percent. Yeah, it's, that's oh, that's unfortunate. Yeah. I always tell people when they're writing a screenplay, just finish it, whatever it is. Like mm-hmm. I know a novel's a little bit more words, but like if you don't finish it it may never get done and like like that's the thing is like as long as it's done there's something that can almost be done with it still but like I find when the like I have a lot of projects that are 30% done 50% 85% done and like I I feel the same way I feel like they will never get completed because there's that you know it's funny I don't I don't know why that is but if until it's completed it can't like do its next cycle Mm -hmm. so you don't want to leave things otherwise you just got to be like okay well I might not finish this and that's okay yeah 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 um Evan's Evan's a a writer as well he wrote a he wrote a movie called um lovers he's talking about it back in the day Oh yeah, yeah. Still isn't showing I still have me. to do another. Well, because I have to do a second draft on it. Because the first draft is how long is the first you know, draft been done for? But it's uh, <laughs> <laughs> no. I mean, it's not. It's not entirely crap. There's there are elements after I reread it, and I was just like, oh, this is kind of crap. Um, <laughs> but there are things that really do work well about it. Um, and it's interesting that we talked about like you know writing something erotic because the I it was an idea I'd had for a while. I don't even know where, where I got it exactly, but it was just like, I had this idea of this young couple, like not ultra young, but you know, young couple engaged to be married. Um, just like kind of a a picture perfect type of thing away on holiday and, and basically end up, they end up at a party Mm -hmm. where it's like, Oh, like they're like, it's like a swingers party. And they're like, and they, and they go through with it and they sleep with other people. And most of the story takes place with them coming back home and now dealing with the fact that they can't fucking deal with what they've done. Wow. Um, and so it was like, I was like, Oh yeah, that's like, I like, there's something like really scintillating about that to me. And I think in a way, the reason why I never wrote it was because I'd never been in like a relationship with somebody before, where I'd been like in a really like connected relationship. Mm -hmm. So for me to try and write these people who are super connected to each other, who've, you know, now done something like this. Now this is, and it's not something that I've actually experienced, but it was like a, what would happen, you know, how, what would that look like and how that, and I didn't even realize how sexual a story I was actually (laughs) writing. Like, it's like, Oh yeah, this is like, they sleep with other people. And, (laughs) and then I realized within the first draft, 
the opening scene is this couple having sex mm-hmm. because I'm like, how else can this start? Like, this is so much about like then realizing as I'm writing this, this is so much about <laughs> sex. How did I not realize that this was <laughs> like about this? So yeah, it is. It was interesting. Like writing like sex. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, Oh, okay. And our weird shit around that. Mm. But, um, but yeah, a lot of it's crap. <laughs> there's, there's, well, you know, I, when you say crap, I mean, I, I, no, I don't say that as like a sense of judgment. There's like, it's, it's like, no, it's, it's the first draft and like, there's things, there's elements that don't work with it yet, but there are elements that really do work well. I feel at least right now. I wonder how, now that you tell me that, I wonder how vulnerable it is for you, a movie like this. It's not like you write this type of stuff normally. No, no. And like I said, going into it, it, I didn't even realize I was writing something like that. But has that ever happened to you where you've discovered like you're writing about (laughs) something that you, that like you didn't think you were writing about? Um, I can definitely identify with a sense of suddenly feeling very vulnerable in what I'm writing. Um, mm. yeah, I guess it, it does go like in a direction you weren't really expecting or you didn't realize the the actual like layers and depth to what it is you're trying to explore. And then all of a sudden, because there is that assumption when people read your work that it's always about you. Um, and I do that all the time. Like I'll read, yeah. I'll read certain poets and I'll think, um, Oh my God, like, I can't believe this happened to you. And then I'll, I'll be discussing it with the poet and they're like, oh, I don't even have a brother. And it's like, Oh, okay. Well, yeah. like we tend to assume that. So there is that sense of if people read me writing this, they're going to think that, that that's my life. And yeah, I mean, with anything to do with like just with sexuality and being vulnerable like that, it is, it is a very difficult and, and frightening thing yeah. to do. Yeah. But it's, it's interesting because I think that sometimes like Brian, you sort of touched on this a little while ago and we have talked about this before, but there are elements that, especially when you look at older pieces of work, I find when you're a little bit more objective about it, I can look back at stuff that I've done for, and in the moment you're just writing it, you know, like mm-hmm. you're just playing it, you know, you're just playing with it, um, and exploring it and whatever, seeing what's there. And then realizing that there were, there was so much stuff that went into it. That was such a reflection of where I was at at the mm-hmm. time that I didn't even realize we're actually going into it. Yeah. And then I was like, I was like, Oh, but I, I can look back and later. I'm like, yeah, there's so much here. That's me when I was 25. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, well, it's interesting. Cause like sometimes characters are more direct. Like it's, it's, it's like if a character resembles me and they resemble more of my life, then it definitely, I think appears more like, Oh, is that you? Like when I told a few people about this story that I'm currently writing, they said, is this, is this an autobiography? And I'm like, well, no, I mean, part of it is in certain ways. Yeah. But like, it's actually based on a few people that I know, but it was actually vulnerable. And I remember the first person I told and I was like, Whoa, I was like, this is like, this people are probably going to see this movie and really like they're, they might think that that's, you know, that's me, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Because there's a lot of parallels. Yeah. Right. And so like, I think writing, writing is super vulnerable that way. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, it's like, I don't, I don't know if like once you start writing, you start experiencing it, but I, I don't think like people always think of writers as being really vulnerable but I think the only way you can write really well is if you're vulnerable, Absolutely. if you're like exposing, because like 
you know, I might not have lived these events, but I get that struggle. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, I think it is this sort of blend of exposing, but also playing as well because it's just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Some of this is me for sure. Like this is like, this is part of me and this is something that I do understand and have experience with, but this stuff, I have no idea, but I'm using this experience to try and go into this other one Mm -hmm. and, and explore that a little bit. Because I think, I think that anything that can become too autobiographical can become, I don't know, can become a little bit masturbatory. I think so too. In a way. Yeah. Yeah. I think you gotta be, I think you gotta be careful of that too, because I think like there's, I don't think you want to just like, you don't think you want to treat your stories. This is my opinion that you want to treat them like they're your psychiatrist and you're talking to them about all your problems. Mm -hmm. You don't want to treat it like that. But at the same time you want to, you, you know, you don't want to be like, keep everything to surface either. You know, you want to, you want to find a, a balance. And like, I think it's about connecting to the interpersonal thing. Like, what do you know about that? Even if you haven't experienced Mm -hmm. it, right? Like, cause I think we all, we've all had experiences of, you know, basically, you know, live enough life. We all experience betrayal. We all experience, um, you know, hurt and love and friendship and, you know, and, and, you know, some type of sexuality and some type of violence and some type of thing. And we all, we, and and I think that's the thing is that's why you can tell these stories that you've never experienced, but you can totally get them. Yeah. And that's probably the gift of the writer is we, we, give someone an opportunity to take their own personal experience and they go, that's real. I resonate with that, even though I haven't lived that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So to get us sort of, we came into this with the topic of like, you know, the time, the time. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Which is and not to say that cause like I've been, I've been enjoying the conversation so far, but I mean, part of this was like, you've recently had this, you know, yes. big chunk of time to just commit and dedicate. So like what, like, did you find that by having and giving yourself the time to just focus on, on writing and on your work, um, what, what was different? What, what changes, I guess, like, like what is the biggest thing that shifts from, you know, because there's something almost romantic about, the, the story of like, Oh, I was squeezing in time, like yeah. in between yeah. work and blah, blah. It's like, Oh my God. Like, you know, you just, my art, exactly. Right? Yeah. It's just like, you know, people eat that shit up yeah. as opposed <laughs> to being like, no, it's actually just really great to be able to just, yeah, I was super responsible. I took time off work. And yeah. Yeah. Um, for me, so much of my writing and, and my creativity is, is around like energy. Um, so I guess it shifted my, my whole, it shifted my energy. I didn't have the stress of work. I didn't have the stress of having to get up with the alarm. Um, I didn't have to worry about cramming things in because I am very conscious of that. Like I have, I had certain deadlines that I put on myself. So I had to have like this number of poems done in the morning before the work day started. Mm. Whereas I didn't have that. I wasn't experiencing that kind of pressure when I was able to, to do the residency. Um, but at the same time, there's also a sense of guilt that went with that, I guess. Cause I feel like, um, 
we're trying to be adults and we're trying to like there's this whole idea that you can't you can't be an artist and, and be a functioning adult um, when that's so not the case yeah. um, I, I think the big thing it changed for me is that because I wasn't making the same amount of money I'm used to making I started looking at my actual options for making a living off being an artist um, because I don't think I'll ever go back full time with my old job after experiencing what it's like to, to enjoy what I'm doing with my time. Mm, yeah. So yeah, that, so that was, yeah, a huge change for me, I guess. So I'm actually looking into, to doing this full time. That's great. Yeah. I think another side of it too is, um, well, we were talking about the emotional vulnerability. I just wanted to mention one thing because is that what I find is when I have time blocked off, like when I have fully committed time, I'm not just stowing away on a lunch break. Mm-hmm. It's like I can more emotionally get invested into my work. Oh, for sure. Like yeah. that's the hardest thing I find about working 15 minutes here or 30 minutes there or whatever, even just an hour. It's like, you know, cause it takes, I think a certain amount of investment of myself at least to get emotionally involved in what I'm doing for sure. You know? Yeah. And so I think like the, I think it's better to write than to not write. It's better to do your creativity than to not do your creativity. But I like, as the point of this talk, I think the reason why we're talking about saying yes to your free time is that you want to create a space for yourself so you can emotionally invest mm-hmm. in what you're doing. Yeah. 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 But, and giving that to yourself as well. Right. You know, um, Jim Carrey, he did like a talk that I heard where he was saying that, you know, we so often, um, we logic our, our ways we use, like we're use practicality as a means to not do what, what yeah. we want to do. Yeah. Um, and he's like, but practicality can just like, because that's how so many of us are just like, well, you know, I've got to make sure I do. And you know, there is a certain sense of like, well, yeah, you know, you don't want to necessarily put yourself on the street mm-hmm. or something like, <laughs> you know, so you can, so you can take this time, but also you don't need to be working you know, necessarily five days a week, you know, basically doing a nine to five and trying to squeeze us in mm-hmm. like all year, mm-hmm. you know, like me, like, can you create a situation where you're not working five days a week? That was something that I did for myself was I was doing a job five days a week and I cut it down to four and then I cut it down to three. And so it's less than half of my week mm-hmm. goes into this thing. Mm-hmm. And there was a huge just mental shift in what I was doing with my life just from doing that. Mm -hmm. And also in, on a practical level, learning how much I didn't need to be working that much in order to live. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It makes you look at things differently. What what do I do? Exactly. What do I actually need in my life? Like what is completely superfluous? Because ultimately it's like, I would rather give up a lot of these, you know, things that can be fun, like going out and whatever. It's like, it's not that I don't get to go out and have fun and, mm-hmm. and do things, but I just don't do that necessarily as often. And it's like, but I would rather give up a lot of those things and have the time to commit myself to things that I really, really care about yeah. than just to have shit or to go out and, you know, rack up like a big bar bill or something. (laughs) I don't know, like whatever it is, but, um, in terms of, yeah, like shifting focus in, in that way. Um, or if you are working a job that's like five days a week and that's where, can you do something where 
for a part of the year, you can actually take off a month here or a month there and be disciplined enough where you can save up and you can do that. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Or just create a circumstance where you can do that. I think it, you know, I, I think it also kind of touches on the whole thing of like, you know, being a workaholic and like, you know, I think as artists, um, we can be workaholics in our art too. And sometimes oh, yeah. it's important to take free time not to do anything at all. Like yeah. not even to do your writing or whatever, like just take the day off and go and, um, you know, just do you like, you know, experience yourself, live in the world. I've been listening to Evan got me on this, but I've been living, listening to a lot of these Alan Watts talks. Mm-hmm. And, um, there's this talk today, which, uh, you know, I'm not going to go off on it all, but he was talking about walking for the sake of walking and not walking to get somewhere mm-hmm. and how that there's, that, that's a really valuable like life lesson, you know, like, like living for the sake of living as opposed to like living. So it's like, well, one day when I get here, you know, then I'll be happy. But it's like, no, like right now you're actually it. You're already here. You, you've done it, you know? And like, um, the walking thing really resonated with me because Brandon loves his walks. I love my walks. And I I go on these walks aimlessly through the city and I, I think about stories and I think about all this. And this is where a lot of my best stuff comes but I don't really have a destination and I don't really, and, and I consider that as valuable as sitting down at a table mm-hmm. and writing just as the walking is because, you know, the story that I'm writing today, like, or writing right now in the next couple of weeks is like, you know, I sat down for three hours and I produced a lot of work over three hours, but that's also <clears throat> accumulation of walking around with this for a while, you know, walking around and thinking mm-hmm. about it. So really, it's three hours of writing, but it was probably about another like 20 hours of thinking, you know what I mean? Like real, yeah. like just yeah. wandering and thinking. So I think it's important. Like, and I just make time now for myself, like to just go for walks and, and do that. And it's, it's, you know, it's nice. Cause I'll, it's, it's a time that I get to be with myself. And I used to kind of look at stuff like that as like, Oh, maybe this isn't a good use of my time. Now I've totally changed my mind on that. Yeah. Oh yeah. The judgment of the use of time. So maybe we can talk about that. Like the whole judgment of like, why don't we make free time for ourselves? Why don't we say yes to that? Well, for me, I guess before when I was working full time, um, I felt really guilty if I wasn't using every spare bit of time to write because I had all these things that I wanted to accomplish. Um, but then I burnt out pretty badly and it, I think you just have to start doing it to, to see the benefit of it and to realize the world's not going to end. Your creative projects aren't going to completely fall apart. It's just, it's like a form of like exposure therapy. You just kind of have to do it and Mm. deal with like the guilt and the anxiety that comes with that. Mm. Um, and, and just prove to yourself that not only can you do it, but that you're worth it too. Mm. There's a sense of, of worthiness that goes along with that. That's really great point. Yeah. Being worth it. I think that's, yeah. And, and, um, and burning out, you know, cause I think, um, it was actually surprisingly enough, another part of the same Alan Watts talk, which about being busy. He was talking about being busy all the time. It's like busy for what, you know? And I think that's something that actually kills our artistry is you're, we're, we get busy. We mm-hmm. do busy work, but busy work isn't like real work, like real work. And I, and I had a, I shared this on a podcast months ago, but I had an awareness about work is 
if it's work, I'm literally producing and creating and achieving something. It, it has, something is getting done that's measurable and whatever that's work. And if it's not that it's not work and it can only fall into one of three other categories, <laughs> play, relaxation, or sleep. And I'm like, well, I'm not sleeping, so it's not sleep either. So is this relaxation or is this play? And I think we need to start looking at our busy work. And we, if we looked at busy work and I started doing this, is my busy work relaxation or play? And it really informs how you do your busy work. Cause you start looking at it as well, well this is a very relaxing, so it's gotta be playful because <laughs> I'm not getting anything done here, you know, <laughs> yeah. like, right. And so if it, and if it's relaxing, then you can kind of just, you know, just mm-hmm. enjoy that whole, that whole little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, and maybe that's an overly simplistic way of looking at it, but I find it really works because I think being busy and calling that work, but not actually getting anything done is like, that's how we burn ourselves out. That's how we do ourselves in, you know? Yeah. So, um, yeah. So you, so you burned yourself out. You're always, you're always on the grind, always doing it. How did you, how did you like, where did you find your work life balance and all of that? How did that all come about? What was the lowest point? <laughs> the low, my breaking point. Yeah. Um, I I was starting to suffer for, from some really severe anxiety. Um, like I've always I've always had anxiety, uh, but I've noticed that it's gotten worse more recently. And um, this year, like 2017, is when I really sort of made the commitment to myself that I wasn't going to to work five days a week anymore. Um, so yeah, it was just it was, it was a really internal thing. Like, I don't think a lot of people around me knew how anxious I was feeling all the time and how, like I would wake up in the morning and I would literally dread, I would cry in the bathroom about going to work. I like, Mm. like there was, I was done. I was just done. So, um, it was just one of those things I had to force myself to do it. I started, um, cause I'm able to decide when I do and don't go into work. So I just started booking time off and then the Anvil Center came along and that was it. Like that was the turning point for me was, was seeing, how much happier I am. And like, I don't, I barely experienced any anxiety at all in April and that was the month I was there. So that's awesome. Yeah. That's great. So when you, um, and I mean, if it's, you don't have to answer if it's too uncomfortable, but like what, like what, what was the anxiety about? Where did the anxiety come from? Um, I, when, when I'm at work, it was knowing what my day was going to look like and knowing the negative aspect of what was going to happen there. Like I I knew what to expect. I knew like what bad things were going to happen basically just because of the nature of of my job. Um, and it was just like, I can't say that I hate my job because I really, I enjoy people that I work with. I enjoy, I, I enjoy who's there. Um, but it's never been my passion and I guess I'm just not the kind of, like I have to, I have to go for my dreams. Like I have to, right. or else I'm just, I'm not happy otherwise. And it's gotten to the point where I've been at this job for almost seven years now. And it's just been a really slow accumulation of just this underlying unhappiness. That's really no one's fault. And mm. it's, well, good for you. That's, yeah, I mean, you. it sounds like you're taking like responsibility. I mean, and that's, I guess that's what we're really trying to talk about. I mean, I, like artists taking responsibility and kind of looking and valuing themselves. And, mm-hmm. and you brought up the whole being worth it thing. I think that's, that's a lesson that I've been learning my whole life. It's like, and I incrementally, I make little yeah. jumps, but it's, it's tough because you know, I think we're in a world where we were told to be busy our whole life. You know, you go to school, you know, yeah. and, and you're, you're busy. And if you're not busy and like, 
like I, I just remember like for example like doing PA work even like on film and it's like well if you're not sweeping or doing something you know you're you know if you're not busy it's like yeah I just think that's so to me I'm like sweeping what something you guys don't even care about like like and it's just because people want to see you busy yeah and I think that there's this you know when we're not being watched by some boss we're watching ourselves. Yeah. And when we're watching ourselves not be busy, we're like, well, I should be being busy. And then up comes the guilt and the shame and all the other yeah. stuff. And then if I'm not busy and I've wasted time, quote unquote, you know, and this is the perpetual loop. I think we, yeah. we yeah. find ourselves in. Well, you know, the thing is, is I, this is something I was recently thinking about. Um, I recently just came back from Saskatchewan, um, where I'm originally from and seeing a bunch of family and stuff. And I've got a lot of, um, you know, like prairie people are like, it's pretty blue collar, um, you know, hard workers kind of thing, busy people, <laughs> uh, including relatives. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I, I got to spend quite a bit of time with my uncle who's a plumber and he has his own company and he also flips houses and stuff. He's a busy guy. Right. And he was talking about, he's like, hard work. And he like, we were specifically gone to this conversation mm-hmm. about hard work and how he was raised on, you know, like you work hard and it's a good thing to be a, to, to be a hard worker and blah, blah, blah. But then I he- would hear him like, you know, on the phone talking to like one of his like employees or talking about like a, a project that they were on and how like absolutely like really fired up he was about the work that he was doing. And I'm like, this whole thing isn't about hard work. This whole thing is about being passionate and he's a plumber, but he's fucking passionate about the work that he does. Mm -hmm. So I think that it's like maybe starting to change because hard work is just like, that's a surface. I think that's a pretty surface kind of observation about something as opposed to, because you can be a hard worker and be miserable as fuck. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then what's the point of being a hard worker if you're miserable mm-hmm. as opposed to being a hard worker and you really love what you're doing, at which point it doesn't really become hard work anymore. Mm-hmm. It just becomes what you, you do. Yeah. Yeah. And what you steer yourself towards. Hard work's an interesting thing. I used to talk about it a lot in the early podcast. They used to <laughs> always be arguing for smart work and like hard work's good, but without smart work, you know, mm-hmm. it's kind of pointless. And like, hard work's an interesting thing though, because, you know, we're all indoctrinated into it. I mean, right now in culture and especially like, I look at my parents' generation and my grandparents and like so indoctrinated into this hard work thing. Mm -hmm. Like that's just like, like everything is hard work. And I look now and like, for example, we were moving. I was helping Evan move some stuff and Evan was in the truck and, you know, I was kind of doing loads between the truck and whatever. And when I grew up, I just to give you an idea. I, by the time I was 18 or 17, I had lived in like 17 different houses. I had moved wow. a lot, I, you know, plus when my parents had split up, my dad moved his stuff in his storage. My mom moved her stuff. I had a lot of moving experience. Um, and when they split, we also didn't have a lot of money. So we had to maximize space when we put stuff in storage and figure out how to cram it. <laughs> but when we were, you know, I was working with, um, his fiance is like cousin and brother and whatever. And we're, we're figuring out loads and the girls are trying to figure out loads. And I'm like, 
Okay. And I'm looking at it and I'm going, okay, what can I do with this? And I'm moving what would normally take us like three or four loads in one load. Cause I'm figuring out how do we get everything done at once, but quickly. And I was thinking like, plus I don't want to use my back either. Mm-hmm. So let's dolly it all. And so we were doing that. And like, as the day went on, I didn't work very hard, but it got a lot done. And we actually did all of this in like under two hours, which was amazing. Yeah. But I was like, that's the thing is like, if I was really bought into the hard work thing, I would have been like lugging it with my back and like really like yeah. wearing my body down. And meanwhile, I probably spent a lot of less energy than I would have spent. And I did less loads and we did it faster. And it was all because it was smart. So I think like hard work is like a really great virtue, but I think it's like abused in our culture today. I feel like, you know, we think, Oh, I got to work five days a week. I got to make this money. And like, I got to get every, like you burned yourself out. I got to work every little break I have and I can't take any time off and there's no time for meditation or walk or video game playing or sitting back and like enjoying something. And like, this is what, this is what actually eliminates creativity. I think. Well, it's, it's interesting. Like a lot of people, they wear burnout. Like it's a, like it's a badge of honor. Totally. You know, it's just like, Oh, Oh, I'm just, I'm so, (laughs) I'm exhausted. I'm so busy. You know, like, and it's just like, yeah, like that's like big gold pin for themselves. It's like, yeah, but you're falling apart. Like you're, (laughs) Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's nuts. So I think that's a part of this talk too, is that, you know, it's like when we're talking about say yes to free time as an artist, we're talking about like, not like, like not wearing burnout as a badge of honor and looking at hard work and thinking of hard work as like I, the way I look at hard work right now is, is much different than I used to look at it. I and mean, it's always evolving, but I really try to like, I look at I don't know. I've always done this, but I always look at animals for models, you know, like models to do the world. And I was sharing this with Evan a while back, but I was like, you know, there's the workhorse Mm -hmm. where you get the workhorse to carry a load, bring a load back, carry a load, bring a load back. It works all day. And then, and then it's, you know, exhausted and then does the next thing. And and none of the work really matters, but it's all just kind of lugging stuff back and forth. You know what I mean? The workhorse kind of model. And I, you know, I was doing that for a while and I got to burn out and I wasn't happy and my creativity was suffering and all of this. And then I thought about like the leopard, you know, who sits in the tree all day, <laughs> licking its fur, <laughs> sleeping, you know, whatever. And then, but when it goes for a kill, it does it with absolute execution, just yeah. 100% everything it's got. And whether it fails or succeeds at it, it'll go again, but it doesn't really matter when hundred percent. And I started looking at life like that. And I was like, well, that's really what, that's really all that matters. I mean, if all I, if my goal is all I got to do is eat, I don't have to spend all day on the hunt. Really? Like I need to be ready. And when opportunity strikes, I need to be able to execute with absolute precision and everything I got in me. But if I did the workhorse model, when opportunity striked, I was burnt out. I was tired. I was worn out. Mm -hmm. And like, I could only show up so much. And so I think like, you know, I, I get the whole like lunch break thing. Cause I used to do that when, I, when, especially when I was in university, I had a job, a couple jobs I was doing university. I had all this. So every moment I had, I would write, but like for me, a lot of the time work and school was just kind of like, I don't know. That was easy to me, but when I was writing or I was doing something, it was like 100% and it worked. And like, but I was curious about for you with this whole intern or not internship, but this month you got, um, mm-hmm. right 
did you find that there were moments of like taking the gas off and maybe even mindfully Mm -hmm. because like you had a month, right? Theoretically you could work every hour of every day that you're awake Mm -hmm. and you could be like, I can give everything I got. But what I found is I've been kind of doing that for a while, like where I don't really have any other job, but what I want to do, but you can't, I can't do that every single day. I can't go like I've done it for a period of time, but 16, 18 hour days or even longer after a while, even the artistry burns me yeah. up. You know what I mean? For sure. So we have to be mindful too, even if we have the whole day, because we started this, I don't know if we shared it on the podcast, we were talking about having the whole day is really important, but like, not because you have to use the whole day, but because you're going to take a part of that day and you're going to execute for part of that day. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So I don't know, maybe you could speak on that because you just had the experience. I mean, I'd love to yeah. know how your work schedule went for you because you set your own. Yeah, and I, I actually, I brought other things with me because, um, like, besides the writing, I do, um, I'm pretty into, like, my spirituality. So I do, like, oracle card readings for clients and things like that. So I would have, like, things that I was working on in that aspect. And, like, when I say working on, it could just be, like, a certain meditation that I was that I was doing or, um, like, a book that I was reading about the spirituality. Um, so I would take breaks and work on that stuff or take breaks and just sit there and meditate. Um, so I sort of began to see more of like a bigger picture view of it and of how those kinds of things also fuel the creativity. Hmm. Um, so like the meditation and the spiritual practice is just as important to the creativity as the actual writing itself was. Hmm. So, um, yeah, I, I wasn't, I wasn't sitting there and, and doing it like for six hours straight of just writing. I would take like 15, 20 minutes to, to meditate, to just sit back and relax and just, um, okay. do like the mindful practice and stuff. So I'm glad to hear that. Cause I think maybe like we can talk about that because this whole like saying yes to free time as yourself as an artist, I think it's really important that we communicate that how important it is to do the work that isn't so much like the work, mm-hmm. you know, to do the, the part of it that is like, for me, it's going for a walk. Mm-hmm. You know, that's my meditation. That's my thinking time. That's actually probably when the best writing actually occurs mm-hmm. off when I'm in the middle of the night at 3am and I'll literally do this walking the streets, pondering the story. And then when I come back and write it, the work is, you know, writing with the hand or, or typing. That's the hard part. Yeah. But like at night, that's where the thinking usually occurs. When I actually get down to writing, I've already done the, the, the smart work. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. now it's just typing it out. And in fact, I actually started thinking like, man, if I start writing, like, cause I, I've been working on a novel. I'm like, I would rather write my novel, not by typing it, by speaking it because my thoughts are so far ahead of my typing ability. Mm-hmm. And I type every single day and I've done this for years, but my thoughts are so far ahead, so much faster than, you know, even a really fast typer would, would be trouble to keep up with how much work I've done in yeah. my mind. And I think the only thing stopping me from getting the story down as quickly as I want is I'm not able to type it out as fast mm-hmm. as I can think it and feel it, you know? So anyway, I mean, maybe we can just talk about this. Maybe you guys have thoughts on that. That's been my process at least. I know you meditate. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, um, yeah, I, meditate. I think the whole thing is finding things, um, that enrich you finding things that, um, nourish you and recharge the well to mm-hmm. borrow from Julia Cameron on that one mm. <laughs> in the artist's way. Great book, everybody. Um, if you're an artist, um, 
but you need to do these things to recharge the well. And that's why she has that as part of the artist's way in, in like her program. Like it's like weekly. It's like, you know, you're doing your journaling. That's part of recharging, you know, like keeping the well full, taking yourself out on an artist date on your own to go and, and take something yeah. in, go and take something in because you can't just like keep putting out and think that that's mm-hmm. just going to perpetually like keep going. It will burn you out. And I'll go back to some Alan Watts as well, too. We've both been on an Alan Watts kick, but you know, he, he has, he had this one talk that I heard. He says, you know, in, in this life, he's like, we've got this whole thing of, of, um, of going on and goofing off. Hmm. And we're in this thing of like, like, Oh, we've got to go on. We have to go on and goofing off yeah. and goofing off. Cause when you get too wrapped up in the whole going on part of everything, it all becomes a real drag. Like it's it all becomes serious. like it becomes yeah. so serious and it yeah. just like becomes such a, it becomes such a burden. So it's like, you know, you've got to goof off a little bit, you know, cause otherwise what's the point if it's just the going on part yeah. of it all. Right. Which is, I think, you know, we get caught up into this whole thing. I, and I think a lot of what we've been talking about is about like, you know, Oh, I've got to work, got to keep busy. Like all of these things are like going on. I must go on. I've, and even within when we're doing our creative work, you know, and, and our vocations and it's just like, Oh, I've got to go on. I've got to, I've got to make the next thing. I've got to, I've got to write this. I've got to film this. I've got to perform this. I've got to put something, you know, and it's great to want to put stuff out there. We have to put our stuff out there. But when it becomes a burden and it becomes something that, because our work can cause us anxiety too, mm-hmm. right? It's not just, you know, that we're not doing, cause that can cause anxiety for sure. We're not doing our vocations. We're mm-hmm. not doing these things. Yeah. We'll get anxiety. But if you're, you're just, forcing yourself, you're just pushing yourself constantly to keep on churning out without taking a second to breathe because we need to live our lives as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And life fuels our art. Our art doesn't fuel our art. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So exactly. If I yeah. wasn't experiencing life, I would run out of stuff to write about. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I mean, that's yeah. what, I mean, what is art really about? It's all, it's, it's about life. Yeah. It's like, it's, there's a reason why art is because it's the closest thing we can, we can find to express this whole thing yeah. that we're all a part of. Right. Like it's, it's why we have music. It's why we have poetry. It's why we, you know, it's the only things that, that can somehow do justice, yeah. um, to these things. Like, uh, I just finished reading a book cause I love my spiritual stuff as well. A friend gifted me a book called Siddhartha, um, about this guy who meets like the Buddha on his path to try and, you know, find resolution and peace and, and enlightenment in his life. And he walks away from the Buddha cause he realizes that he can't just learn it from somebody. Mm-hmm. He has to go and find it for himself. Yeah. And, uh, there was a point to this whole thing. <laughs> I usually do this at one point in the, in, in the podcast where I like actually just sort of like blank on, on the direction I was taking it. I get too far on my side stories. Um, but there was, uh, well, there was we, were, some... we were talking about, we were talking about busy work and, and we we're talking about, you know, going on and goofing off. Um, yeah. and, um, maybe it had something to do with that as far as your spirituality. Um, yeah, no, it was, um, oh my God. 
but it was, <laughs> well, hold, pin, put a pin in it for a second. You know, yeah. there's this thing that, um, what's his name? Uh, Alan Watts talked about, and I think he mentioned it to me first seven, but then I, I think I actually heard the talk, a couple of his talks afterwards about it, but he was talking about, um, don't take things so seriously. Take them, mm-hmm. be, be sincere, not, not, yeah. not be serious. Yeah. And, um, I found for me, like when I get too busy and I get too focused on always needing to go on, I get really serious and then life becomes a bore and it becomes a, you know, it's like there's no fruit in it anymore. Mm-hmm. And I, if I goof off too much and I don't, I just goof off all the time and I totally uh, let go of all my responsibility, it becomes kind of like almost a lethargic, a kind of like, oh, like I feel like I'm not really doing anything. And this, he has these talks about being sincere and I, they're not necessarily, I'm not going to quote him or anything, but like, I really kind of, I like that, that idea of like, since be sincere about goofing off and be sincere about going on, be sincere about all you do. But like you can, it can be totally a joke, but just be sincere about the joke. You know, yeah. it's like, you know, cause I think if you take things too seriously, you have no sense of humor anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Know? Sure. Yeah. And like, like we have to laugh at ourselves. I mean, you know, I, I, I've been walking around as kind of actually as a silent little practice. I haven't really told anybody, but I just laugh at myself. I'm walking along the street and I just start laughing because I'm like, Oh, that was so silly. <laughs> it's just yeah. like, but it's good. It's like, it's a release because I'm like, why am I, why, why? Cause I, my old, the way I was being before was so serious. But I'm like, Oh, I kick myself. It's like, why did you do that? And I'm like, yeah. And now I'm just kind of doing the practice of like, I'm laughing at myself. I'm like, God, that's so funny. I did that. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think like, that's something we need to do too. Like, and I think we need to not take time so serious, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. I think we need to be sincere yeah. with our time, but not so serious about it. Yeah, totally. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I don't know if you, if that bought you enough time, but maybe it not. did actually. <laughs> okay, good. It did. This is usually how it goes. Like it, it, it will just come, it'll just like slowly come back to me. I love good. it. Um, Thank you. But <laughs> No, it's basically, um, what it was, it was about like art, why we even do the art and, and how we try and find expression, um, within it. Um, but basically it was like towards the end of the story when this person has, when, when Siddhartha has, has had sort of his experience of enlightenment and understanding. And he comes across an old friend of his who went and followed the Buddha and he's just like, tell me like, what, like, what did you learn? And he says to him, it's like, I can say some things to you, but the thing is, is that like m- my words won't be able to, to like really communicate it to its fullest extent. Mm. They can just sort of direct you, mm. but I can't like just say the words to you and you'll know it. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's, I think part of that's part of what this whole thing with, with art is. It's just like, it's trying to find it as close as possible in the best way we can to express something that's so raw and truthful and real Mm. about, about life. But it's like, it's, so we find these things like to, to try and get as close as we can to talk about or speak of or express this experience that we're all having. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, And that's why we have art, you know, it's like, it's like, because otherwise, because things, if we can't talk about it when, once we start trying to literalize everything 
and, and define everything so much. We just like, we kill it dead, you know, like it's, um, uh, who was it? Uh, Oh God. Um, not too great, great, (laughs) great American writer, comedian, like, like he's very a humorist. Um, they have, they give awards under his name all the fricking time. Okay. Oh God. But anyhow, <laughs> he said once, like he said, like once you define comedy, you kill it dead. Uh, mm-hmm. right. Yeah. Like, you know, you explain the joke and it's not funny anymore. Same goes, right? you know, same it's, goes like, you, you know, just to throw in a little crazy corner. We do crazy corner every now and okay. then. Crazy corners when we get into like a philosophical idea, that's like a little far out. Okay, cool. Um, but crazy corner is that if you define yourself, you lose yourself as well. If you label yourself too much, it's all the ego, you know? And so I think sometimes like, you know, we're like, I'm an actor. I should be acting. It's like, no, you're not an actor. You're not. You prefer to, you like to act, Yeah. but you're not actually an actor. You're not a writer. You're not a writer. You write. I mean, we can call you a writer just for the sake of like, you know, convenience. That's what we're going to do. It helps us just be like, I mean, that's our topic of focus, but Mm -hmm. you as a whole being, you, you're not a, you're not a writer. I'm not a writer and Evan's not a writer, but we write, we all write Yeah. and we're all right. <laughs> yeah. You know, but I mean, that's the thing is like, you know, once we start, and I think that's the thing about art, art is this, it's temporary. It's, it's very like true in its moment, but once the moment has passed, it doesn't need to be that anymore. It can be anything else. And I think this is, you know, as I went into my little crazy corner here, the reason why I talk about that is because free time just because you're like, well, I got 16 hours. I have to use all 16 hours to write. It's like, no, you don't. If you use 15 minutes of the 16 hours to write, that was great. If you use the whole rest of the time, you know, goofing off or doing something else, that's all right too. But I think like, we also need to be mindful about this whole thing of like, say yes to your free time is like, it's your free time. It's free. (laughs) You get to do what you want. Like if you don't want to write anymore, you don't want to do whatever you're doing anymore and you want to get onto something else, go get onto something else, you know? And I I think this is, you know, and and I think that you, you mentioned something earlier, you were talking about being worth it. And I think nothing brings out our value more than our free time because it's in our free time that Mm. we really get the autonomy to choose. And like, if you value yourself enough, you'll be like, well, this is what I want to do. And, and, and I'm worth it. I can go do that, yeah. you know, and I can stop myself and I don't have to feel obligated. I don't have to feel shame. I don't have to feel guilt around it. But I would imagine I'm just going to throw this out to all our audience listeners who are, who are artists. I bet some of you feel some guilt and some of you feel some shame and some of you feel like you're letting yourself down. <laughs> and some of you feel like a lot of these things. And I think this is what this talk is really kind of boiling down to for me as I'm seeing it like that. It's like, yeah, I mean, maybe that's the thing that is actually the biggest thing holding us back from our artistry is that we think we must be more than we are and more than what we really want or, you know, maybe trust ourselves. Like this is what I need to do right now. And maybe everyone else will look at it and say it's a waste of time, but I don't know. It's not. Yeah. That was my little speech with a little crazy corner in there. A little pinch of crazy corner. <laughs> um, I don't know if you wanted to, I know you've brought some poetry 
you've brought some stuff with you. Yeah. If you want to read some, I don't know if you would like to do that at some point. It doesn't have to be right now. Um, in would the you mean- be interested in that? I could do that. Yeah. yeah. All right. Let's do that. Um, why don't you pull some out? And in the meantime, Evan will tell us. Uh, well, first I'm gonna is. I'm gonna ask you about the. Uh, you want to ask us the beer? What's well, it? It's a dark one. It's a dark beer, and it's kind of it's kind of foggy, hazy little little brew. Um, it doesn't quite. I, I, you know, once you tell me the name, I'm gonna know what it is, but I can't really think of it. But it seems kind of like it's, it looks like an ale, but I don't think it's an ale. It's like a, uh, it's like a dark, it's like a dark beer of some sort. Yes, please. Yeah. What do you think of it? Are you, are you liking it? Um, I don't know an awful lot about beer. Yeah. I just know if I like it and don't like it, and I do like this. You do like it? Okay. Well, it was one way or the other, so that's that's as good as it could have gone. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, I'm enjoying it. It's uh, it's 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 got a little bit of a, uh, a bitter taste. It's um, I wouldn't say this is I wouldn't say this is really my would be my go-to. To okay. Be honest, of of all types of beers, uh, maybe it's just the style of it, but um, it's a it's definitely a different. It's different than what we usually have. Yeah. It's a unique. It's a unique one. Yeah. I'm not saying I don't like it. I'm just saying it's not, it's not what I would gravitate towards on a unusual basis. You know what I mean? But I'd say like, it's good. It's a good beer. Yeah. Well, you've tried it. Yeah. Well, this is from uh, a brewery we've never had on, on the show before. Wait, what do you think of it? Oh, um, well, I mean, I had a sample of it and, and I like it. It is a little bit heavier necessarily than I would like continue drinking this. Like I would have several of these. Mm -hmm. Um, but it is, I feel like it's a nice, like having, have like one, Mm -hmm. have one in an evening or something and then maybe switch to something else after that. Cause it is pretty heavy. Yeah. Um, and you don't necessarily get a sense of how heavy something's going to be with like a little taster Mm -hmm. sometimes. But when I tried it, I'm like, Oh, this is really kind of nice. It had like a nice balance to it, but it does start to feel like like it's weighing on you a little bit after a while, but I, I'm enjoying it. I, before you mention it, I, this, this, a beer like this for me, I think would be something that I would really like more in like the winter. Cause it almost mm. reminds me of a little bit like a, like having a scotch or something. Yeah. Mm, you know, it's yeah. like, it's almost like, I just feel like if I'm sitting by the fire, it's nice and warm and cozy, but cold outside. And you know, it's yeah. like, it's almost like a beer like that. And I don't know what it is about seasons, but I, I just, you know, and I know they make beer in seasons, but I really like, I find that certain seasons, I enjoy certain beers more than other times, you know? Yeah. Well, this is, um, a little rotator from, uh, this is from Greenleaf Brewing Company. They're in North Vancouver. And, uh, this is called their Burning Rock Ale. Burning Rock. And it's an amber. Amber Ale. So yeah, Burning Rock Amber Ale. And little talking point on it when I was getting the fill done, uh, they actually, when they're heating up the, the beer, um, in the boiling of it and that process of it, they throw in like a granite rock heated up to like 4,000 degrees. Really? (laughs) That's what they told me. (laughs) And I was like, 4,000 degrees? Doesn't like rock become like 
molten lava at that point. <laughs> I don't I'm know. Drinking a little rock here. But yeah, they throw. They actually throw like this super crazy heated rock into like the barrel at some point when they're making it. Wow. You know, it's interesting. So, I wonder if that creates like if it if it kind of creates a bit of a burn on the barley or the beer or something because one of the things that I I also noticed about this it has a little bit of a coffee feel to it. You know, mm-hmm. and like, you know, they, like you go to a coffee shop where they kind of burn the beans a little bit, like it almost kind of has this particular beer has a little bit of that, mm. that sense yeah. to me. Yeah. That's interesting little talking point. Yeah. 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 I thought so. Well, we're <laughs> going to be probably seeing a lot more of them now that you're nearby. Yes. Yeah, yeah definitely. So this it is first, dangerous first of many. Welcome. What were they called again? Uh, Greenleaf. Greenleaf. Greenleaf Brewing Company. All right. Yeah. So tell us about these poems. Um, well, I think I'll just do one of them. Okay. Um, they're from the manuscript that I'm working on right now. Um, and this one actually took second prize in the 2016 writers fest, um, poetry category. Um, so yeah, it's actually from a story a friend told me. I changed it around a little bit. Um, I just kept sort of like the basic details. Um, she worked at a restaurant in Port Alberni and some people came in and that's where the poem came from, but it's called, um, Catch a Can. Okay. Uh, so it wasn't just that she was dying, but how loudly her death came into the diner. She and her husband lit up with whiskey, their car parked outside by the pier. They were stopped on the way to Ketchikan, the woman's cancer too ruthless to treat, the treatment itself a kind of fading. At least they'll bury me with all my hair, she said, and her husband put his hand on some small part of her body that wasn't meant to be intimate, but the way he touched her made it seem so. They left with takeout bags, ate outside on the hood of their Toyota, and when I locked up for the night, they slept off the drink in the back seat beneath a white hotel sheet. A brochure splayed on the dashboard, gleaming with photographs of glaciers, a black bear tearing apart a fish. The fish, pink on the inside, her row spilled like a bead bracelet come apart. Hmm. So tell us a little bit about what inspired that. Um, So my friend was working at the restaurant and um, a woman came in and basically she said that um, she was she was very very drunk and she was dying of cancer and she was deciding not to go through with any kind of treatment. Uh, she was just going to go on one last road trip uh, before she died. Wow. So. Wow. Yeah. And uh, I guess so. When you decide what to write for a poem, is it like something kind of hits you or inspires you and you and you? Yeah, it's um, it's a pretty intuitive thing. I think it'll just sort of hit me, and it could just be like a small detail about something. Like, just walking down the street. Like, I actually do a lot of walking myself, and that's where I get ideas mostly for poems. Right. I'll just see something, I'll notice something, and then it just sort of demands to be a poem, I guess. That's awesome. We might pass each other on the street one day. Maybe. <laughs> I don't know about 3 o'clock in the morning, though. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the, do it. 3 o'clock's a nice time. Nobody's up. That's why I like it. Yeah. I think that, for me, it's like, hearing that poem, it, it reminds me of, like, of the short story mm-hmm. that you're like, there's something about your writing that like, yeah, there's the, it's these little details, like these little details of, uh, that you, that you, that you put into everything that just suddenly make it very fucking real. 
like all of a sudden it's just like it, it's just something small that just suddenly I'm like whoa like now I'm like I feel like I'm in the soup <laughs> and the soup is good <laughs> thank you yeah no it's like you're just like I feel like whoa now I'm 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 inside of it because there's something an image a mm-hmm. something that just like is is for whatever it's and and also haunting I found that your short story was quite haunting in a way. I found this to be quite haunting as well in terms of how much it just, yeah, like it, it just, it, it hits on something vulnerable mm-hmm. for sure. You know, something interesting about death, as I told you, my first poem was published when I was like 15 or 16 and it was mm-hmm. about death as well, um, in a certain way. But, uh, there's something about death, which is kind of, amazing teacher because this woman decided she's going to go on this road trip before she passes away. And I think about that and I go, how timely, like for our talk to, to share that one, because like she's saying yes to doing something that she clearly wanted to go Mm -hmm. do. And I think this is the problem. If we don't start saying yes to the now, to the things we want to do in life, we're going to wind up one day and we're going to be facing our deathbed. And then we're not going to have enough time. Yeah. You know, and I think that's why it's so important today while we're healthier, wherever we're at in our life is to start saying yes right now to this stuff and this free time and not to not allow shame or guilt or whatever obligatory thing that we think we're supposed to do get in the way of us actually living our life. Because I think if you know, and I think an exercise that anybody could try on and, and everyone, and I encourage you on the other end of this podcast, just take a moment, just imagine that you knew you were going to pass away in the next, you know, and, and I do this exercise sometimes with people. Imagine you're going to pass in the next hour. What would you do? If you're going to pass in the next, you know, day, what would you do in the next week? What would you do in the next month, in the next year? And, and each one will give you different answers. But if you start looking at it that way, you can keep going, but mm-hmm. you start looking at, you can go all the way until like, well, what if I pass when I'm 90 and you'll start getting real clear answers about what you do. You start from the, from the hour all the way to, you know, 10 decades later. Mm-hmm. And, um, I think the thing is, is that society has, um, okay. I'm going to go back to a little crazy corner here. Cause, all right. Okay. Cause this is a big thing. Part two. This, this is a, yeah. Crazy corner part two. Um, this is a big thing for me in my life right now and really extracting myself from society. And, um, you know, society enforces the ego in a lot of ways. It enforces who we think we are and who we're supposed to be and all of this. And, um, you know, I'm on the Alan Watts kick, so I'm going to give him another <laughs> throw tribute, but he mentioned about this, you know, about stepping away from society and why that's important because in society it reinforces who we think we're supposed to be. But he was pointing out about how like we've all bought into this propaganda that we need to buy things and get things and do these things to be happy. And that this is how life is supposed to be. And yet we bought into it. Arguably, I don't think anybody would disagree with me. If you're in the first world culture, especially if you're in North America, we've bought into materialism more than we ever have. Mm -hmm. Like we, we have bought into, you know, house, phone, car, clothes, everything, things, Ikea furniture, whatever we bought into this whole thing. And even specialized apple peelers. Exactly. (laughs) 
Totally. Big and the small. It's just like, it's, you just think of those like ridiculous infomercials of like, you know, it's like black and white and there's some person struggling with like (laughs) a peeler. So I'm just like, like, oh my God, like this person's life is horrible. Um, trying to peel this apple. Yeah, but thank God that uh, yeah, new peelers that, here. Yeah, that Star Fritz got and it's this only new three f- three payments of twenty seven ninety nine. Yeah, and they'll send you four of them. Yeah, <laughs> so you can give them to your friends. Yeah, oh, but you'll God. keep them all because they're all different colors. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I like the green one though. Um, so, uh, so I mean, there was this whole argument. And this and, and granted, what's interesting is this talk was actually uh, years ago, but. Um, how we, this is all a propaganda. And so if you think about it, we're being, we're being told a certain thing in a certain narrative that we're buying into. And this narrative is like, basically for those who don't know, I mean, I assume most do, but propaganda is essentially a political agenda that is told to, you know, the receiving audience a biased opinion about how the world works and and the way things are and and what to think and whose side to take and who to be against. Mm -hmm. And so we've begun to see materialism as the ally, as the friend, as the, as the best friend that's got our back and all of that. And, and spiritualism and and being alone and and playing and all this is somehow kind of an enemy because if we were to actually just play, if we were to relax, if we were to meditate, we don't spend money and the economy doesn't like that. So the economy says, no, you need to buy things like meditation and walking and playing. And all this is all, it's all bullshit. And you know what? You don't need just one video game. Sure. You play video games. You need every video game. You need to have this one and this one and this one. And you need to spend money in this video game as well. You need to, you know, and everything's about this all the time. Mm -hmm. And so we're constantly in this, in this belief that we need to earn, we need to earn money and more money and more money so we can spend more money. Because if we can't spend money now, we don't have a friend. Now we're alone. Now we're nothing. So long and the short of it is that if we actually took our free time and we took it honorably without the propaganda, if we took it with relaxation and play and we worked with what we had as opposed to getting new, we would actually start to experience um, more truth. And we wouldn't see that there, we would start to see that there is no wasted time. There is no enemy. Um, that materialism, if anything, is more the enemy than the friend. But, but right now it's like, just to give you an extreme, it's, it's as though you're in Nazi Germany and materialism is Nazism and we can't see it because we're in it. But if we were to extract ourselves and look at it, we might see that, holy shit, we're a part of the problem. We're a part of this very toxic force. Now I'm not saying don't buy stuff. I'm not saying, you know, don't live a comfortable life. Just the fact that we're sold in and we become so wrapped up into it and it kills us because now we work all the time. We work every hour of the day and we feel guilt and we feel all of this other stuff because we bought into this propaganda. And I, again, I'm not saying don't earn money, don't make stuff, but this is kind of where we're at right now. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, I don't know if that was too far out of a reach. I mean, if you guys get it, then maybe someone else does too. But that's the thing I think that I'm really seeing in this talk more and more is it's really making me walk away and go, yeah, that's right. Like say yes to free time is also saying yes to 
to being, to, to doing what I want to do and being okay with that, whatever that might be, because that's part of living. That's part of filling the well, you know, and as much as I think the new shirt is going to make me happy, it's probably not filling the well, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm, yeah. yeah. Or whatever the new thing is or the new, the new apple peeler, <laughs> the green one. Well, it's like, <laughs> which is earthstone. Well, and that's why I like it. It's <laughs> like the new, the new shirt is like, the new shirt is like the well's empty, but Hey, here's a, here's a bottle of water. <laughs> yeah. Right. Totally. Yeah. 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 And just throw that bottle with the water in it down there. <laughs> you can't get it until yeah. you climb down there. <laughs> it's also littering in your well. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm just going up. <laughs> um, that's a bit of a labored metaphor, yeah, but, uh, you gotta have a little fun, right? You, you gotta, do. Gotta Absolutely. goof off a little. Um, I don't know. Does anybody have any other points or, or stuff that they've, well, I, okay. I got a question for you. Okay. So you've had this month now yes. of some free time mm-hmm. that you really sounds like you really got a lot out of. Mm-hmm. You really found a, a nice balance with it. It really seemed to give you some perspective moving mm-hmm. forward. Tell us about moving forward now. Cause I understand you don't have the month now now you've got to go back to work. You've got to kind of mm-hmm. integrate what you took and put it back into the reality of okay, well, I still got to make my money, mm-hmm. but now I have this experience. How are you implementing this experience into life? Um, I think it came up earlier about realizing what you can actually live off of. Mm. Um, so th- that was really put into perspective for me. Um, I don't need as much money as I thought I did to survive. And I'm able to see now that I'm far more fulfilled making a little bit less money and being able to do more of what I love. Um, And it's just sort of instilled within me a determination to just continue changing my life. It was, I see it as like a turning point for myself Mm. and I'm just going to continue to make those changes until eventually, um, the three days a week that I've committed to going back to work will turn into zero Mm. and I'll be just strictly doing what I enjoy doing. You know what I found interesting is, um, so there's a certain point where things turned for me where I got to be an artist 24 seven and it was interesting because I remember when I was really busy, there was a certain point where I was almost more productive being busy. Mm-hmm. And then when I, I got more time, I really maximized, but there's a certain point where when I had so much free time, I actually became less productive mm-hmm. because I almost had no restriction. And then with no restriction, I almost wasn't utilizing it at all. Yeah. And then I remember one day, this is long ago, but I woke up and I'm like, Oh my goodness, I'm blowing this opportunity. I have all this time to create. And I said I would do it, but I'm not doing it. And so what I found now is that with free time and autonomy and kind of being able to do what I want, it's very important that I become also like as an artist, I think the artist just wants to goof off and play and try and, and do this stuff, but to also be almost like a, I don't know, like the business person of life mm-hmm. and to be like, okay, you know what we're going to do? We're going to get up at 9am today and we're going to go to the cafe or we're going to do this thing and we're going to work for a little bit here. And then once that's done, then you can kind of goof off a little bit, but creating almost a work mm-hmm. schedule for myself. The nice thing about it, I've, I've had a lot of practice with it now is I can move it and manage it. And like, I'll stay committed to it, but it like for someone, they might have to show up at 9am if they don't show up, they could lose their job. I'm not necessarily going to lose my job. I could be like, okay, well 
I'm going to, I'm going to do my work at 7 PM tonight, but I can still do that because I have that autonomy. But I would say also like, as you earn your freedom, one thing I've experienced is that in a weird way, having work, even though it's not what you want to do, that weird little bit of structure I found kind of helps. Um, and until I recreated that in my life, I found that too much openness, no borders mm. was actually not conducive to mm-hmm. really great right. artistry anymore. Well, yeah, that's, that's interesting. Um, a guy who's also an artist in residence, um, before you, mm-hmm. um, who we had on the show, Sam Davidson, um, he was telling me that he, he had too much free time at a certain point And he started put adding like some work into his, mm-hmm. into his life again. He's like, I need, I need something to kind of like, just to remind me <laughs> of like what I'm doing Yeah, that's, in a way. Yeah, like, yeah. Totally. like I thought, Oh, that's really interesting. He's like, cause you know, and he had enjoyed Like he went and he toured Australia and he had, you know, did a bunch of shows yeah. and stuff like that. And then he hit a point and he's like, all right, I need to work a little bit, <laughs> you know, after he came out, he's like, cause he's like, I had, I've had, I've got too much free time. Like I can't, like, I don't even know what to do with myself. I have so mm-hmm. much free time. So it's, it's interesting. It's all balanced, right. And, and learning to strike that. But I like what you're saying just a second ago, uh, Chelsea, cause people can't see us. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, it's just like, it's just like a nice, it, it is a very, profound yet practical wisdom of make less money, do more of what you love until you make more money doing what you love. Mm -hmm. Mm. You know, it's just like, seems pretty simple to me. Yeah. And I think also like, you know, you can always decide to work more. Mm -hmm. You can always take a period of time and say, you know what, I got a goal and it's in three months time. And for me to achieve that goal, this financial goal or whatever I need to do, I can buckle down and do some work right now. And for the next few months, I can really just work as much as I can and make as much money as possible. But I think like, I think the problem with the hard work thing is if I think hard work's good, if it has an end point, Mm -hmm. but if it doesn't have an end point, I think that's where hard work becomes burnout and it comes self abuse. I think like for me, like I was actually just talking to one of the girls at the cafe and we were talking about, she knows I was telling her a bit about my script and we were just talking about, it. she's like, you know, she's like, it's good. You got two weeks. Cause she's like, you know, for me, I don't perform until I actually have a certain amount of time until it gets kind of, and I was like, you know, it's so true. Like I'll work really hard for the next two weeks, but I know when the two weeks is up, I'm done. I can relax. But if I have to work for too long, a period of time, I don't want to work hard anymore. And then my hard work actually isn't hard work anymore because it's pacing myself now. But for the next two weeks, I can sprint. I can give it my all. But like after the two weeks are up, I get to cross the finish line, take a breather, you know, and relax. And I think that's the problem. You know, we weren't, maybe some of us were, but you know, when I was younger, um, you know, I don't think there was enough focus put on, uh, that hard work is a temporary thing. Yeah. Sprinting is done in a short period of time. That's what hard work is. Hard work is the sprint. Most of life is a marathon though. And you need to pace yourself. So if we don't, if we, if we're always trying to sprint, you know, and we're always trying to, you know, eventually you just, it's no good, you know? Mm -hmm. 
Well, I mean, it's all things. It's more than just a marathon. It's not just a marathon. It's a triathlon. Yeah. And sometimes there you go. And yeah. sometimes it's a sit. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes it's like, you know, it's, it's all kinds of things, right. That right. need to, I think that need to be honored, including the time yeah. where we're not running <laughs> <Yeah>. at all. <laughs> right. And sometimes and, we're resting. Yeah. Sometimes we're stretching. Yeah. Sometimes we're watching someone else run the marathon. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes we're just taking a second to take a breath. Yeah. Right. I like how you put that. I think that's a good way to, you know, it's a good analogy to kind of look at life moving yeah. forward. You know? Well, and it was because earlier you talked about how you were helping me move and you know, it's like, and yeah, it's like as smart as we tried to be about like not busting ourselves over doing that, there is still an element to which like, okay, but I'm still like picking up heavy shit and still placing things and moving things around. Like it's still physically pretty exhausting work to do or can be. Yeah. And there was a certain sense of reward I felt out of doing it where I'm just like, yeah, all right. Like I feel like, you know, I'm moving stuff and whatever. Like I can see stuff like getting done and being accomplished. And there was a certain reward to that, Hmm. but I don't want to do it more than what I did it. Right. (laughs) Right. Like it was like, yeah, that was great, but I'm not doing it after today. Yeah. I'm done after today because that shit sucks (laughs) in the long run. Yeah. 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 Um, okay. Well, all right. So moving forward, the the goal now is the stage you're in is you want to get to the point where you have total autonomy, total freedom. Um, and your art is making you money that you can live on. Let's say this happens. So when this happens Mm -hmm. and we have you back on the show and you're going to tell us all about how you're living now. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what, what are you going to do? Let's, let's just say you've got all the money. You're making money from your art enough to live on. You don't have to work a Joe job anymore. And what would you do given the fact that you say had full autonomy, full free time. And remember this is going to be recorded. So, <laughs> so <laughs> if you're not doing it, <laughs> um, or at least we'll, we'll check in and see how, you know, theory goes to actual, uh, application. I'd I'd like to somehow, I'd like to start doing some kind of like volunteer work. Um, ideally because I I would have like the ability to create my own schedule. Um, I would like to be doing something with writing, um, volunteering in some capacity, doing like workshops or whatever in like the mental health field. Um, I'd like to still be doing the spiritual practice. I'd like to be doing, um, not like motivational speaking necessarily, but I'd like to be incorporating like the writing with the spirituality and sort of like, I guess like teaching in a spiritual way. Um, and I'd like to be touring with Mm. books and things like that. I'd like to be traveling around and a lot of volunteer work. I see myself doing because I'll have the time and I'll have the funds elsewhere to, to do that. All right. Well, once you tell the universe, you know, these things can happen. It's out there. (laughs) (laughs) Plus all this whole big listening audience has heard it now. So you're (laughs) accountable. You're accountable. That's the beautiful thing about doing a podcast. Yeah. (laughs) There's no like going back on like, I didn't say that. (laughs) (laughs) Actually. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, okay. So now, uh, I figure we wrap it up. Um, usually at the end we try to, we try to look at like, what did we learn what did, what's the takeaway that you got personally? And we'll all share a takeaway that we got from this talk that we can kind of go now and apply to our life. You know, is there anything that you take away from it or, or not just for you or something that you maybe wanted to share with the listening audience to say, like, if I could tell you one thing, this is the one thing I'd want to leave you with. 
I think it all boils down to the self-worth. Um, it was nice to talk about that because I don't typically talk about um, having having gone through a period of having to convince myself that I was worth this. Um, so it was nice to hear that from you guys. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, to other artists and to, to everybody, um, we are worth doing what makes us happy. Mm. That's great. Mm. I like that. That bit, self-worth has been a big one for me mm-hmm. for like all my life. <laughs> it's especially, one of the hardest things. Yeah. Especially yeah. with artistry. It's like, I don't, I don't know what else brings it up quite as much, yeah. you know? Yeah. What do you got, Evan? Um, yeah, I think it, it ties off of to what you're saying. Cause I also don't even want to follow that up because it's just, <laughs> <laughs> you're worth doing what makes you happy. Um, uh, but for, for me, I think in terms of integration for my life and, and, and lesson is, um, comes down to, I think judgment, actually, this conversation Mm -hmm. of where I'm judging things as, as being worthy or unworthy of, you know, being like, Oh, this is productive or this isn't productive or, you know, like all of these judgments, um, that we place upon ourselves, um, as we go about our lives and, and creating, uh, our art is, um, like it, it's, you have no idea what something might be necessary for, you know, that, that walk you want, you know, that you feel like taking, you know, that you're maybe saying like, Oh, I'm just avoiding it. It's like, maybe that's exactly this isn't avoiding it. Maybe this is actually the most direct path to helping you take the next step, Mm -hmm. you know, being like, not, you know, being in, in flow with what, um, with what we need, you know, to, to keep us in a, to help us be in a state to, to create as much as we can, you know, to keep that. And sometimes even when that means stepping back from creating, Mm. Right. Sometimes we need to take a step back from doing that work, doing creative or like intention, intentionally, consciously creative work or what we think of as being work. Right. Which is on like, Oh, I've got to sit down and, you know, hash this out or I've got to go and do this. Like, well, maybe that's not the most, actually the most productive work. Maybe the productive work is going and, and meditating maybe the productive work is going and doing something that is not directly involved with whatever it is that you maybe have on your plate right now. So yeah, being less judgmental, what that is, trusting the process, trusting what my sort of self, whatever you want to call that, (laughs) whatever myself is really asking for and trusting that. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what I'm, my takeaways on this. Yeah. You know, I, I guess, I guess my comment is compliment on top of what you said. It's partly the self-worth and it's partly something you brought up, Evan, was the always being productive. You know, I'm, um, I think what I'm realizing right now is, uh, y- you know, it's one thing to think it in your mind. It's another thing to kind of get it in your heart, you know, once it kind of settles in and I'm really seeing the value of, um, you know, the, t- the time walking and thinking and doing all of that and, and filling the well and, and living. And, um, and, you know, I think, um, you know, I think when it comes down to actually creating and writing your story or producing your art or, or acting or doing or making your song, 
when it actually comes down to that, that's your time to execute. But I don't think we should be executing at the same time we're thinking about executing. I think that the prep is done for much longer, way before you get to the point of execution. You know, I think of the leopard. I brought this up earlier. The leopard is there in the tree, resting, relaxing, staying at peace, staying in harmony, keeping itself nice and at ease. And then when the moment comes for it to strike, it does with excellence. And I think about great art, I think is this kind of thing where, you know, inspiration strikes and whatever it is inside of you comes up and you go, okay, I'm ready and go. And you just kill it when you do it. And I think all the thinking about all of that, at least for me, has happened way before that moment of opportunity striked. And so now I'm just ready when that happens. And, and so I think what I would leave everybody with now and what I'm going to walk away with is just really being okay with being ready and not getting anything done until the moment strikes to execute being ready. Because I think what's happened for me and where I, where I find a lot of guilt and shame and stuff comes up is that I need to be producing. I need to be creating something right now. And it's like, well, it's not there. The, 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 there's nothing to, you know, if I were the leopard, there's no uh, thing to kill. There's nothing to get. There's no meal to eat right now. You know, the desert is sparse. (laughs) You're ready, you're relaxed, but there's nothing to hunt at the moment, you know? And so I'm kind of walking away from this going, okay, well, when that moment of inspiration strikes, like it has right now with this story is I will execute with excellence, but it will be done and I will have had my feast and then I'll go back to licking my fur and hanging out in the tree and being ready, you know what <laughs> yeah. I mean? Like, yeah. so to speak. So, um, you know, I, I think I, I would inspire other artists to do the same is take some free time and think of it as self care. Think of it as being yeah. worth it and, you know, and not needing to produce. And that's just as valuable as when you will produce. And when you do produce, it will matter. Yeah. I just had a meeting this morning. It's the last thing I'm going to say, but I had the meeting this morning and this person who I met with got a big grant. And they were saying, you know, since we got the grant, everyone's like, oh my God, how'd you do it? And they're like, everybody sees your yes, but nobody sees your ton of rejection letters that you got before that. But everyone's like, oh, it just seems so easy for you. You just got a grant. It's like, you don't understand. We've been submitting and doing this stuff over and over again. So I think this is the thing is that, um, you know, I think what we need to look at is that when great things happen for us, there's usually a lot of nothing happening for us before that. And, and most of it was nothing happening until that one moment comes along. And then, you know, and otherwise, I mean, what, what you just produce a bunch of mediocre work, I guess that's the alternative. I mean, if that's okay with you, if that's what you want to do, then fine. But I think what we really want is we really want to put our heart and soul in this stuff. So that's my advice. Yeah. 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 Well, Chelsea, thank you very much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. And, uh, again, to everybody on the other end here, we will provide links in the blog to, uh, her short story and, uh, and anything else that she provides us with. So you can check out her stuff, which I highly recommend you do. And that's it. Yeah. And make sure you share the podcast with your friends. (laughs) We'd like that. We do. (laughs) 
That was our show for today. Thanks a lot for listening and being a part of this. If you enjoyed our conversation, please subscribe and share with your friends and family. Or you can learn more and message us at www.thebndpodcast.com. Oh, and make sure to leave a comment and rate us on iTunes. That will really help us out a lot. It definitely will. Thanks. Thanks.